After last week's episode on exoplanets, we're zooming back down to Earth, specifically to the eyeball. In this first ever slightly shorter form interview than usual, clocking in at around 25 minutes, we're going to be talking biomaterials, hydrogels, contact lenses. What are you waiting for? Let's go. Knock, knock. Who's there? Bishak Rout, a PhD candidate in chemical engineering. He's researching plasma-based methods of surface modification to improve hydrogels in biomaterials. Bishak, it is great to have you here today on the show. Welcome. Hi, Jeremy. Thank you for having me here. It's an absolute pleasure. So let's just hop right into it. You've delivered medication through people's eyeballs. Tell me a bit about that. Yes, that was an interesting part of my master's degree research. When I started my master's degree, I was working on nanocarriers that could deliver drugs to targeted body parts. And then I came in contact with a company that was working on contact lenses. And uh, there was a chance that the nanocarriers could be used in the contact lenses to deliver drugs to the eye. And then uh, that project went on for about two years, finally resulted in a contact lens that could deliver some drugs of choice to the human eye. And it has been patented in a few countries. Uh, I'm aware it, it is already being marketed in a few countries as well. Wow. Okay, so a couple of questions. What are these nanocarriers made of and what are some of the drugs that we've used in this kind of contact? That's a, that's a great question. My answer to the first question, what are the nanocarriers made of? They depend on the drug that we are trying to deliver because the drug also affects the properties of the nanocarrier that we select for delivering uh, to the eye. In some cases, we have used a material that is known as chidosin. It is derived from the polymer that is found in the shells of crabs. And we modify that polymer, treat it to make it more efficient in delivering drugs to the human eye, and then kind of cover the drug with the polymer particles from the chidosin. And then that forms a sort of an encapsulated shell around the drug, and then that can deliver drugs to the eye. And now the second question, the drugs that we have worked on till now are vitamin A, B, and we have also tried some phytochemicals, not exactly drugs, but natural ingredients, which can uh, have some antioxidant abilities or functions in the human eye, such as uh, curcumin and quercetin and lutein, just to name a few. There are tons of drugs that can be encapsulated, but this is what we have tried so far. So you mentioned vitamins and things that aren't necessarily what we would quintessentially think of as drugs. So what you're telling me is that you aren't trying to get people high through their eyeballs. You're also not administering things like acetaminophen or painkillers? Well, technically we can deliver the painkiller that you mentioned. But the word drug here refers to a particular molecule that can have a certain action on the human tissue. Got it. Let's say vitamin A. Vitamin A has... A certain uh, protective abilities on the eye so it can also act as a drug but if we want we can also deliver uh, 
let's say something like a therapeutic molecule that is used for glaucoma. So drug here refers to the fact that it is a molecule that has a certain action on a certain part of the body. And Perfect. therefore it can refer to any kind of molecule that that gives certain effect on the human eye. Gotcha. This makes way more sense. I guess if we're going to be delivering drugs through the eyeballs, we want to be presumably selecting drugs that help the eyes because <laughs> yes. there are so many other methods of drug administration, orally, uh, among other maybe less appetizing places on yes. the body. All right. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so you're working on surface modification of hydrogels. Let's start with a quick explanation of what a hydrogel actually is. Yes, a hydrogel is a material that has the ability to absorb a lot of water. And then what happens after absorbing water is that the hydrogel material swells and it becomes flexible. So it feels wet to the touch when it is uh, hydrated or has absorbed moisture. So that gives it interesting properties. When it's moisture rich, it can uh, harbor certain molecules or it can support the growth of uh, some cells. A significant portion of the human body is water. So we need materials that resemble the human tissue. So hydrogels are a class of materials that are pretty close to human tissue. And that's why hydrogels are used uh, for studies involving human uh, tissues. So that's what hydrogels basically are a material that can absorb a lot of water and then can expand of course there are different chemicals that can be used to make hydrogels it kind of sounds like an analog to an actual human cell i know that human cells actually can depending on different uh, chemical gradients in the body they can absorb or release water from them so can these hydrogels kind of act autonomously in a sense and, you know, depending on the environment that we find them in, do they also kind of absorb or release water like our cells do? Yes, yes, you are right. Absolutely right. There are certain hydrogels that can actually release water in different environments and therefore shrink in size. And there are certain hydrogels that can also respond to changes in temperature. So when the temperature increases, they might behave differently and these properties can be used to control the response of hydrogel. Hydrogels can also respond to changes in pH in acidic or basic solutions. Certain hydrogels might expand, others might shrink. So hydrogels can also respond to changes in their environment. And this fact has been used in uh, numerous biomedical uh, devices. So the hydrogels you're working with, are the hydrogels the actual contact lenses or do you fuse these hydrogels with the lenses themselves? No, they are the hydrogels uh, that are actually used in making uh, contact lenses. And uh, the chemicals are exactly similar to the ones that are used in contact lenses. Got it. So you're modifying the surfaces of contact lenses made with these hydrogels. Yes, that is true. And great. So so what kind of modifications are you making? I've seen a contact before. It looks pretty innocuous. It looks just like a little flexible piece of plastic in, in essence, definitely flexible and moist. But what are these modifications? The modifications that we carry out involve uh, treatment with gases. 
Now, one might ask the question, why why perform surface modification? Uh, you know, contacts look pretty innocuous uh, and they're flexible. Well, the truth is the interaction of the human eye depends on the surface or the first few atomic layers of the hydrogel, which can be a few nanometers thin. And if the first few atomic layers of the hydrogel or the chemicals that are used to make the hydrogels are not in agreement with the human body, then the body might react differently to the hydrogel. It might tend to give up some inflammation and it might give some signals that uh, does suggest that the body does not like the hydrogel. So our goal here is to pass the hydrogel material through some gases provide some external energy so that the gases can undergo reaction and then form some thin, very thin, you know, nanometer sized layers on the surface of the hydrogel. And then we control the properties of the uh, gases flowing through and the external energy conditions to give the perfect few nanometers of the atomic layers on the hydrogel that can enhance the interaction of the human eye with the hydrogel. This is just so cool. I'm already just trying to put the pieces together. First, you tell me how we're taking like crab shells and then turning those into like a dust that we then envelop our drugs in to put those on these hydrogels, which we inflate with this with, with this moisture. And then we're also passing that through some gases so that there's a you know nanometer layer of of material that allows it to adhere to our eyes and not make inflammation. I mean, it's crazy. It it's it's hard to imagine that a human or a, even a group of human beings came up with this. It's, it's really wacky. No, it's, it's truly amazing. And uh, at this point, I have to mention that uh, what we do has been possible because there were advances that were done by colleagues or scientists before me. So maybe we are pushing uh, forward uh, with some more new knowledge that we're adding to the field. But we got to acknowledge the people that were before me and developed the chemicals for the hydrogel, actually. And there are people who worked on the crab shell polymers, and now we are just modifying it. Uh, so it's not just me, but it, it has to be acknowledged that there are people who have worked before me, and uh, we, we are standing on the shoulders of uh, you know previous scientists or workers. 100%. That's a great point to make. And it's it's evident just based on what you've discussed already, there's so much science that is behind the current research that you're doing. And that's amazing. So we've spoken so far about these, the modification of these surfaces, but this is all, these are all biomaterials that are going on the eye. This is on the outside of our body. What do you know about the similarities and differences between surface biomaterials and embedded biomaterials, things like, um, you know, replacement joints, and things that go inside of our body. Are there different processes for preparing these in terms of like, you know, enshrouding them in different gases or what's the deal? Yes, very interesting question. And I totally agree. There are different reactions of the body to both uh, of these types of biomaterials. And therefore there are also different considerations in designing or enshrouding these biomaterials in a polymer layer or a thin atomic layer to improve the reaction. So the surface biomaterials such as contact lenses have to deal with lesser problems I would say. Mm -hmm. they, they don't have to face as many reactions because the contact lens just uh, touches the human eyeball 
and the fluid that's surrounding the human eye. So we, we have to figure out what are the reactions of the material with the human eyeball or the mm-hmm. tear fluid that's surrounding the eyeball. Sure. But when we are talking about other biomaterials that get embedded inside our body, there are more interactions to consider. The first thing of which is blood. Blood uh, will get in Mm. contact with the biomaterial and there are certain uh, parts of the human body's uh, system that deals with incoming or foreign body agents. We're talking about the immune system, right? Yes, yes. And these foreign uh, particles tend to drive the reaction of the body to the biomaterial. So if we inject a biomaterial inside the human body, we have to make sure that it does not generate uh, too high of an inflammatory reaction. Otherwise, it could pose uh, challenges for the patient. So we've got inflammation. What other kinds of reactions do we have to these biomaterials? Like what's the worst case scenario? The worst case scenario would be the biomaterial is engulfed by these uh, giant nucleated cells or the white blood cells and they form a capsule around the biomaterial that's the body's way of reacting to any undesirable presence inside the body so they engulf the whole biomaterial it could be a small piece of biomaterial such as a stent or something bigger like a hip implant uh, but they do form a layer around that and that inhibits proper functioning of the biomaterial let's say we inject something that delivers a a molecule or a therapeutic drug uh, into the human body if it is coated by these cells then it cannot release its uh, drug and it does not function properly so in the worst case the device won't be able to perform the goal for which it was injected into the body and it might have to be surgically removed mm-hmm. from the body. Uh, so there are these considerations that have to be figured out before designing a biomaterial surface. Wow. Yeah, that's definitely worst case scenario. Having to surgically remove something that's been surgically implanted, <laughs> that's, that's definitely the opposite of what you want. Yes. So Part of your research, from what I understand, is working to actually improve the performance of some of these materials. This is a word that came up already. You've you've spoken about how the performance of a a material, whether surface or embedded, is going to be affected by the way the body reacts to it. So how is your research specifically working to improve the performance of these materials? So since we are dealing with contact lenses primarily at this uh, stage of the project, so we have to deal with... uh, functions or phenomena that happen when the contact lens is placed in the human eye. The Mm -hmm. first thing that happens is proteins from the tear fluid in the human eye deposit themselves on the surface of the hydrogel. Now, we do not want too much of proteins getting deposited on the hydrogel. That could lead to some adverse reaction. So that is parameter number one of measuring the performance how well the device or the coating is performing in terms of its function. So we, we want to measure how many nanograms or micrograms of protein are getting absorbed on the surface of the hydrogel. Then second thing is 
the shape of the proteins you know proteins have different shapes they can fold they can bend they and the shape also determines the activity or the functioning of the protein so if a hydrogel is changing the shape of the native proteins that are present in our human eye fluid that could cause some inflammatory reactions uh, you know studies have shown that uh, the dry eye disease or the red uh, inflammation that occurs after some people wear contact lenses can be attributed to the fact that protein shape changes after the contact lens has been inserted into the eye so we also study the shape of the protein how it changes before and after getting in contact with the human body and try to make sure that not much change is happening that is uh, parameter number 2 then there are some other parameters is the long term stability we don't want the biomaterial to degrade when it is uh, there in the the specific body location and then we also study chemical uh, parameters because we are chemists or chemical engineers at heart so we want to mm-hmm. know what exactly is there on the surface so we study the chemical nature or the chemical composition of the surface these are a few parameters that we use it's just magical how we we can create these artificial objects like hydrogels we can then observe how they interface with the human body and just naturally these processes occur where there's exchanges of molecules, like you're saying, these proteins that adhere to the surfaces. It's just amazing how you, how you bring two systems together and they just start to intermingle automatically. So I'm curious to know, because I've, I've also heard about this phenomenon of, of red eye and irritation. I've actually always avoided contacts. I do wear glasses. I've, I've never dealt with contacts. I just, I don't want to deal with the headache. I'm curious though, you know, speaking to someone who's in the field specifically working on the cutting edge of contact technology, do you think we will ever be able to produce a contact lens that can be worn for extremely long periods of time as opposed to just a single day? There have been advances in this field and uh, I believe uh, someday we might be able to reach uh, that goal. We do have uh, lenses that can be worn for extended periods, uh, say weeks or months, but we do not have lenses that can be worn for years on end. The challenge lies not only in the surface, but also in the material, because the lens shape undergoes changes uh, after we use the lens uh, numerous times and then there are changes uh, to the roughness of the lens that can uh, happen uh, due to the normal wear and tear of the uh, human uh, eyeball moving up and down uh, so many times the challenge here is mixing together all the parts of the system you know there are material design problems and then there are chemistry problems in designing the chemicals or the materials needed to make such lenses and then there are how to create a lens of the perfect shape that it fits the eyeball perfectly and does not undergo a change so the research involves people from different backgrounds and fields so it is definitely an ongoing research but i think we will need a few more years to reach there to find a lens that can be worn for even longer periods than what we have now. Mm -hmm. I mean, one one application of that, I I can just imagine, like, let's say you're a soldier in the field and you're being deployed for months on end somewhere. It would be really great to be able to have a single pair of contacts. They're lightweight and they can just handle handle their own. Yes, 
Yes. We can dream. <laughs> yes, I agree. And the, those lenses could have some other functions too, like, you know, zooming in and out of the of the view field, uh, you know, some sure. electronics, some very cool stuff. But, you know, work on that is uh, ongoing. Maybe we'll have it in a few years or a few, probably a decade or so. Well, fingers crossed. That would be very exciting to see. Yes. And if your research ever dives into that realm of things with the technological integration, I'll have you back on and we can discuss that surely in your postdoc if that happens. Absolutely. That would be my pleasure. Sure. Yeah. So just uh, just a couple more questions. When you perform tests on your products, are you using human eyes? Like, do you pluck human eyes from corpses and then you use those in your lab? No, that's, uh, that is usually done in the final stage of the project. These kinds of research are done in different stages. So the first stage would be studying the response of the proteins. So we just put the material in protein solutions and then try to mimic the conditions of the human body. So we maintain it at temperatures close to 37 degrees C. And then at the next stage, we move on to studying the response of the human eye cells. So we grow cells in a petri dish or in a culture plate and then subject the hydrogel material to the surrounding of the cells by placing them in that solution. And then we see mm -hmm. how the cells react to that. If the cells are growing perfectly, then that that shows that the biomaterial is functioning well. Or if, if it's the other way around, that does show the hydrogel might have some problems or might be producing some toxic byproducts that are affecting the cells' uh, normal functioning. After these two stages have been completed, it is usually the third stage that involves live human eyes, in which we take mm -hmm. the hydrogel sample, place them on, on volunteers' uh, eyes, but uh, there, there can also be a stage in which we can place these uh, hydrogels uh, in the eyes of animals, such as rabbits. Rabbits are commonly used uh, in this field. But yes, we definitely do involve human volunteers, but it is usually at the very end stage uh, when uh, the device is about to get launched into the market. That's how it is usually done by uh, big companies too, such as Johnson & Johnson. Okay, good to know that if I ever volunteer to have a hydrogel put on my face, it will have gone through extensive testing prior yes, to that. Yes, absolutely. You, you can bet on that, that it has already undergone a few rounds of testing. <laughs> good, good. Uh, so if I was interested in learning more about anything we've spoken about today, where would you recommend that I begin? And I ask for myself and, and for the listeners. Well, that's, that's a very tough question to answer because that would depend on the level that uh, the person is uh, interested in uh, looking uh, at this matter. So Let's talk two levels, introductory okay. and advanced. Okay, so if it's introductory, then there are numerous places to dip uh, your feet in the water. It could be portals or channels such as National Geographic. Some of these uh, places do have uh, studies or programs related to, you know, some of these research, but not at a very deep level. But if someone wants to go even deeper, I feel there are journals related to uh, these topics. And especially a few journals like, you know, the contact lens in anterior eye or the Journal of Optics. Uh, these 
journals really focus on the topics related to the human eye or, or materials that are used uh, for biomaterials. So definitely hydrogels are there. And these are some of the sources that I can think of uh, the top of my head. Perfect. If you have any publications that are relevant to our discussions today, I'd be happy to include a link to those in the show notes. So that would be a great way for people to dive really deep into your research if they so chose. Absolutely. I, I will provide you the links uh, soon. Awesome. Amazing. Okay. Final question. How would you describe yourself in three words? I describe myself as a highly motivated researcher. The three words. Highly motivated researcher. <laughs> Excellent. Sometimes people give three completely distinct d descriptors. So highly motivated researcher. Amazing. That definitely came through. You're very articulate. And this was definitely a more fast-paced interview than I've done historically. And I appreciate you coming along for the ride. So thank you so much, Bishak. It's been an absolute pleasure. Seriously, this is fascinating research. And I'm looking forward to sharing it with the world. Thank you, Jeremy. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me here. You're very welcome. Take care. Thank you. So you might have noticed this was a bit of a shorter interview than usual, but that's okay. That was the goal. We tried to keep things super smooth, super quick and efficient. I want to know what you thought about this new format. Episodes have been around 38 to 41 minutes for the last many, many, many months. And I just figured maybe it would be nice. It's summer now. We want to be spending more time outside, maybe liberating our ears a little bit from the dense amount of podcast listening over the last year. So you know where to reach me. Email abstractcast at gmail.com. We've also got Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Check out Abstractcast on all of them, and I'll see you in the next episode.